Hello, you are listening to Fatcast, and <laughs> Marianne is early. You're supposed to wait until I identify you as Marianne. So, <laughs> um, today we want to talk a little abstractly, I think, about guilt and um, responsibility, and as sort of a broad and abstract concept. And But I think we want to start off talking a little bit about teasing and bullying as it applies to um, lots of kids and not just queer kids. And, and I, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how, um, you know, it's we both think it's awesome that the bullying of queer kids is currently being addressed and, and recognized. And I think that's important, too, because it also happens to kids who aren't actually queer. And that is also really, really troubling and problematic because it just goes back to the fact that, you know, we live in a profoundly homophobic culture. Yeah. Um, no matter how many leaps and bounds we have made, it's still, you know, enough that kids make fun of other kids until they want to kill themselves over it. And <clears throat> that's really important. But the other thing I also feel like, and I think you put this a little differently so you can follow me. Okay. Um, I, I also put this kind of bullying, though, in a matrix where I feel like I talked on my blog about the fact that my fatness and my sexuality were both sort of co-sources of bullying for me, that they always happened together, that not only was I fat, but I must be a fat lesbian. Um, and I, I've spent like the last like 10 years trying to figure out why that happens. And that's a lot of the reason why I do a lot of talking and writing and thinking about fatness as it intersects with queerness. But, uh, you know, I and I feel like there are lots of other reasons why kids get teased and bullied that are related to appearance and that are related to just failing to assimilate for one reason or another. And I kind of think we should talk about that a little bit. I, uh, I've, as anyone who reads my blog knows, I've, I've been having a little bit of trouble with, it gets better as a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that I think is, is because I am kind of profoundly aware that, you know, queer kids are not the only kids that get bullied. They're not Mm -hmm. the only kids who kill themselves over being bullied or who grow up into, you know, adults who are wounded from the experiences of bullying in childhood. Mm -hmm. And, it happens to fat kids and it happens to disabled kids and it happens to kids of color. And I I think that that is also worth addressing. I mean, it seems like all of these other kids are sort of falling by the wayside in this message Um, or that queer kids don't deserve their bullying, but these other kids, it's okay. Right. And it's not okay. I mean, it's profoundly just as wrong whether it's I think that's really interesting because um my my sort of I guess experience with bullying was mostly linked to my weight it was linked to my weight and to my sort of intellectual weirdness (laughs) I was just gonna say that one group that we're neglecting that is badly bullied are nerds yeah I was um (laughs) I was I, I, I wasn't allowed to have any sort of sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, nobody ever bullied me um, that I remember for being queer. Like, maybe it's because your name starts with L-E-S and Marianne doesn't fit into that sort of 
pneumonic quite as well. I swear that actually started in like third grade. Like that yeah. started so early, and then of course it starts in third grade. You, it's with you for life. Yeah, <laughs> you're never you're never escaping that. In yeah, your whole <laughs> you know I I got it because I was smart to read and because I was fat and I dressed weird, mm-hmm. and that was true from like second or third grade mm-hmm. all the way to now. So. And I mean, that's the other thing is that bullying doesn't stop when you become an adult. There are some amazing adult bullies. Yeah. You know, practicing the exact same things, um, sometimes down to the wording that kids do. So I think that's also really traumatic and difficult because it is as as hard as it is for a kid to admit that they're being bullied. We have a language for that. Um, it's much harder for an adult to admit that they are being bullied and harassed routinely um, by the same person or group of people because we do culturally have an association that that happens to kids and it doesn't happen so much once you, you know, reach the magical land of adulthood. And um, that is really, really trouble. I mean, I've, I've known people who had extreme, I mean, really bad, terrifying tales of being bullied as adults by other adults, um, like at work or in some other circumstance where, you know, there basically is no escape. Yeah. And it's, it's awful because, you know, the, 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 there is this enormous shame about that, that, you know, I'm an adult and I, I should have grown out of this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. This was supposed to stop when I stopped being a kid. What is going on? Well, and that's, that's I feel one like... of the that's one of the things that like is is makes me flail around about this is this idea that it gets you know that that once you are a legal adult with more personal and legal power mm-hmm. that you will be able to make choices that stop it. And I think that falsely perpetuates the idea that even as adults we have complete control over our lives yeah because i mean we we don't i mean i don't know about you but a large part of my life is about you know working hard for the things i want and a large part of my life is about luck Mm -hmm. because i know lots of people who have worked incredibly hard who have not you know had the same kind of luck and it it has no reflection on like their their worth or ability. It's just that the world is a horribly unfair place. Part of my reluctance with the the concept of a blanket, it gets better, um, is that it's aspirational, yeah. and it sets up this universe in which circumstances magically improve simply as a result of the passing of time, yeah. um, which really is 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 accurate for some people but as a blanket statement is not uniformly accurate and i do i struggle with this because i really do agree that it is of huge magnet blah 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 of <laughs> importance like this this enormously vital to give kids hope particularly at that age because at that yes. age you're very all or nothing you're very black or white that's for the most part that tends to be you know what that age group you know of these kids who are are um, committing suicide 
you know, where it feels like your life is going to be like this forever. And you might know intellectually, well, it'll probably get better at some point, but that's not always enough to get you through. So I understand the idea of having models to, to you know, show themselves and talk about their experiences on YouTube and say, this is how it improved for you. It can happen for you, too. But it is still a ver an aspirational goal that may or may not come true depending on a million factors yeah. of, you know, where your life goes and your personal sort of social positioning. And that's part of why when I did my video, I think the most important thing I say in that video isn't you are okay, although that's what people always really respond to. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing that I said is that, you know, even though the world may not change dramatically between now and you reaching adulthood, you are going to change dramatically. Yeah. And that's something that's actually within your control to do that you can you know and that was actually that's why when I when I wrote the piece and then I did a little snippet of it on the video I really was thinking what would I have wanted to hear um when I was in sort of my darkest moments and yeah. it was it was that I was okay and it was that you know everything is going to be okay but it's also the idea that, you know, you have some control over your life because yeah. most teenagers feel like the only control they have is sometimes, you know, killing themselves. That, you know, this is this is what I've got is either I live this life and in this world that is dictated to me or I off myself and I'm free. Um, I think that that telling a kid, you know what, you are going to change. You are going to learn to cope better. You are going to learn to stand up for yourself. You are going to, which isn't universally true. But I think that of the options that we have, I feel like in making sure people know you're going to, just by becoming, growing into adulthood, odds are very good that this is going to become, you'll look back at this tragically, but as you get older, it's, you know, you'll be able to deal with this better. Yeah. Which, again, not universally true, but I think that's a more useful message for kids than, you know, there is a magical fairyland that you will eventually find. Because depending on where they live and a million other circumstances, that magical fairyland may never, they may never get there. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have a lot of problems with the, the whole magical fairyland concept. Because... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I like so, the idea of it, uh, and it would be awesome if it did exist. And I mean this for anyone who is bullied for failing to assimilate. Um, you know, it would be great if if that was a place that we could all go. But it's you know we have to live in this world, and it's the same world that I live in today that these teenagers live in that enables you know other kids to bully them for being you know hypothetically queer or for being fat or for being ugly, or for being too smart, um, or for being not appropriately social, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. We all are still, you know, that's not a separate universe that these teenagers are living in. We're all living in the same place. Yeah. And as adults, we have the responsibility to try to change that, because we have the, you know, sort of the power and the motivation to do so, whereas these kids are just, they're just trying to get through the day without you know, crying in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> did I completely just cut you off there? <laughs> no, it's just, I mean, it's just such a large task because 
I mean, I think it's it's fine and good to send, you know, these sort of supportive messages, but it also underscores the importance of activism across the social justice spectrum. Yeah. You know, and the, I don't know, just, just the, like, huge, no pun intended, weight of the task. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole lot of, but what are we going to do? And I'm like, right now, a lot of us are doing stuff already to try to help. Yeah. You know, so it's just, I mean, it's a a depressing, it's an incredibly depressing and sometimes, I think, disempowering subject. Because then you feel like everything you are doing just isn't enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, but but the, I mean, the thing is, and I think what's important about having these conversations, more than just bringing this to light, is the realization that this hasn't changed that much since, you know, little um, uh, Dan Savage was, you know, a tiny little queer boy. Yeah. Um, the, it, I mean, there have been changes, and there, I don't want to minimize what has happened. But the atmosphere of childhood bullying has not really changed that much in that time. Yeah. Um, for all of the, you know, sort of accusations. I think it was Rick Sanchez, who is now unemployed, I believe, um, made a comment on his show where basically he said the term bullying was like psychobabble that we just made up. Yeah. And, of course, a bunch of, you know, other Internet's wise asses, you know, people are wrong on the internet um, <laughs> had to be like uh no this word's been around a really long time <laughs> and it is a word and it's not something we made up um which you know in fairness to, to um sanchez i he's cuban so i'm not sure if english is actually his first language so that could have been and i, I haven't seen in all of the you know sort of shame that's been heaped on him for that comment I kept thinking like eh, we could be a little more like he is an asshole and he deserves yeah. to be unemployed but we could be a little more understanding about the language differential <laughs> um, I think the problem there though is that you know he is speaking this to uh, a large audience of people who might be like yeah you know these bullied kids just need to toughen up and, and I think that's that's the primary objection to people who want to, you know, address bullying as an issue. Like, they want to place the burden on the kids and say the kids just need to be stronger. Mm-hmm. And, well, no, the other kids need to stop bullying. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, even in, in weight-related harassment at all ages, um, one of my favorite defenses of it is that, well, I'm hoping that it will motivate you to lose weight. Like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm treating, yeah, <laughs> I'm treating you like shit in the hope that you know, like I'm actually helping you. Like you don't know it now, but someday, you know, when you're you're you know starving yourself and or bent over the to- toilet with your hand down your throat, you'll be thanking me because I will have put you there. And that <laughs> that's really, really, really troubling to me because it does place the responsibility for the harassment on the person being harassed. And let's be honest, there really isn't an excuse for harassing an individual. I mean, I might make, um, you know, sweeping generalized comments about like evil right wing assholes. And, and that's true. But 
you know, I, I think that when you start attacking an individual on, on a non-level playing field, you're taking things to a different level. And I feel like part of the problem is our conversations, so many of our conversations about the, you know, obesity epidemic slash fat rampage um, are happening from public health information which is not meant to speak to individuals, but which is meant to speak about populations as a whole. Yeah. But because we, this is a conversation that we're hearing in, in media that is addressed at, you know, sort of an individual reader, it, it sort of enables people to take that, you know, like the idea that, um, you know, the, which is, I, is actually bullshit, but whatever, the idea that obesity, you know, costs more money healthcare-wise, which kind of, I, I have issues with this, this concept because... Um, if that were true, like if, if fat people die earlier, then they should cost less for healthcare because they're not living so long. The people who cost most for healthcare are the people who live the longest. End of story. There's Um, also the, the sort of documentation that says fat people don't go to the doctor as often because of issues with shaming. I'm like, if I never go to the doctor... How am I costing you extra? The way it's always phrased is like obesity-related illnesses. And I think in most cases, they don't actually know that these people are fat. They're just, you know, having diseases that are historically, whether, you know, correctly or not, correlated with fatness. And I think the problem is... heart disease. Yeah, which, again, may be correlated with fatness, but there are people all up and down the scale of weight that get heart disease. And it, it, you know... It seems ridiculous to me to call it an obesity-related illness unless you can say obesity caused this. It would be as ridiculous for me to say it's a penis-related illness because so many men have it. Exactly. Yes, that's a maybe. That's how I'm going to start like referring to heart disease. It's a penis-related. It's a penis-related illness. There's there's correlation there. So I mean, obviously, it's your dick (laughs) that's causing to have this this problem. This may be one of my favorite fat cast moments. <laughs> I just like any excuse to say penis. <laughs> I'm like 12. Um, but the point the point that I was getting to is that when we're reading articles that say hypothetically fat people cost us more in healthcare, um, people who read these popularized non, you know, once you take all the actual science out of these studies – and it gets printed up on CNN.com or Fox News. People read this and will what they do is they start seeing individual fat people and thinking, you're costing me money in <laughs> health insurance. And that's just, I mean, again, this is this is sort of part of my, my broader issue with the incredible stupidity. Or tax money. Yeah. The incredible stupidity of a lot of, of my fellow um, countrymen in this, you know, beautiful and wonderful America. Um, and I mean that thoroughly, truly. I'm not being sarcastic there, which I know is rare. Um, but, you know, we have this incredible stupidity and we have this complete inability to critically question this information. So it's like somebody reads this on Fox News and says, wow, all these fat people, basically, walk, you know, all these fat people are taking money out of my pocket. Like, like, literally, fat people are coming in and stealing it out of your wallet. And I've seen this in comment threads online a million times, which I know is not a fair um, source of, to, place to judge the intelligence and compassion of humanity. <laughs> but I've seen this so many times, it can't always be the same person yeah. saying it. But th- that there is this, and that's part of the scapegoating 
and hysteria around fatness isn't even just about, oh, my God, we're all, you know, you're all going to die because whatever, you're fat, you're disposable. It's you're going to die and you're taking my money away. Yeah. And I, I'm not okay with that. And that, I mean, obviously I have issues with that for lots and lots of reasons, not least of which is that it's wrong and <laughs> stupid. But I'm saying stupid a lot in this podcast. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get like a comment or an email about that. Um, but yeah, so it it I I feel like that whole and this is sort of where we're coming back to the guilt and responsibility angle. I was gonna um, segue into that. Go for it. Segue. I'll let you have the segue because you're <laughs> you're the Thank segue you. I queen. Segue I, I have crowned I have crowned you the segue queen. I'm putting an imaginary crown on your invisible head in front of me right now. My posture is so good right now. <laughs> and I'm Miss America getting her TR kind of way. Um, <laughs> one of the things that this this does, um, the this sort of application of the global to the individual in this way, I think it really contributes to the idea, maybe especially among fat people, I'm not sure how it functions for other groups as much, that we deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, when your doctor tells you X, Y, Z, and you internalize that and you take it in, it becomes your fault. Right. You know, obviously, you're doing something wrong if you were just more compliant, if you just ate less, if you just stopped eating altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it it becomes something you sort of hold within you, and it, it opens you up to a lot of more – a lot more potential abuse because – like, as as we were talking about the bullying of adults, I'm like, you know, bull, if bullying is about exerting power over another person, you know, the, the sort of scope of adult bullying is perhaps a little wider than what we might recognize as, you know, name calling or, or that sort of thing. If bullying is about power, you know, it, it's about it, it's about making people feel bad when you're out out to dinner as a group it's mm-hmm. it, it's all of these different situations that in the moment I totally would not recognize as bullying and that pre-fat acceptance I totally would have taken ownership of as being my fault yeah and I think that's where the whole sort of idea of you know taking 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 on too much responsibility for the things that you don't deserve and this idea of, of guilt and, and that sort of thing comes in. Yeah. I think partly too, bullying comes from a weird, almost, you know, natural selection e urge to wear down the difference of people. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like it, I'm I'm trying to to articulate this in a way that will make sense outside of my head. Um, I feel like it's definitely true for fat kids. I think to some extent it's even true for queer kids. Oh yeah. Um, this idea of you know you should just be normal. Why do you have to be like that? And actually, why do you have to be like that is something that I remember amongst you know hearing applied to queer friends. Um, you know, why do you have to be like that? Why do you, why can't you just be normal? Why can't you be masculine like everyone else? You know, yeah. what's wrong with you? Just stop it. Um, when, you know, just stopping it is not a fucking option. Yeah. <laughs> you know, weight is a little different because we do have this, this prevailing conventional wisdom that this is 100% in your control. And, you know, if you're choosing not to assimilate by losing weight, 
then you're choosing to be an outcast and bullied and humiliated, um, you know, at our whim. You're inviting uh, it. Exactly. And that makes it okay. Uh, I feel like, though, you know, that's that's but I feel like that's one thing that it's about power. It's about, you know, sort of insecurity on the part of the pe- person doing the bullying. And we can't forget that either. Yeah. But I feel like there is like the social dynamics of it. Um in American culture, anyway, I can't speak for the rest of the world, there is this element of trying to break someone, of trying to, you know, be like, you you're, you have to fit in, and if I have to bully you, you know, like, your options are stop being who you are or die. Yeah. Um, you know, I think this is, this is really sort of what a lot of the suicides come down to, is you have kids who are like, you know, who no doubt, I mean, there are rare exceptions to this, but for the most part, these kids have tried to be normal. Yeah. They've tried really hard not to stand out, not to draw attention, to just, you know, to, to do what's ever necessary to avoid the harassment. And it's just been impossible. So when, you know, when you can't fit in and your other option is die and you can't keep going on, you know, you're convinced that you can't keep going on the way you've been going on. Well, you know, it's it, it it's little surprise that these kids are driven to suicide over it because, yeah. you know, it's it's you literally feel like you have no other option. Um, with weight, again, it's, you know, you and I, for a certain period of time anyway, had sort of this faint, this faint hope that, um, you know, we might be able to lose weight and then it would be okay. So I got to admit, like, I, I am, I am, a, oh, I'm a weird kid, you know, so there's, there's the, the sort of fat thing, but I remember really, really clearly, like, you know, trying to dress in like, I don't know. <laughs> sweater vests and that sort of bullshit and you know not not that there's anything wrong with sweater vests um in in a way that was more sort of in sync in the hopes that it would help me to fit in a little better and I was miserable and I, I I felt like I was wearing a costume way more so than I do when I wear some things that are truly costumey and theatrical this this was actually my experience too, particularly um, my first couple years at college when I first started sort of dressing up and going to golf clubs, um, that, you know, you can't go anywhere. I mean, now it's weird because I feel like I don't see anywhere near as many golf kids as I used to, and I'm sure there are still golf kids out there, um, but I feel like it just doesn't have the same popularity that it did. And, you know, we but even given that, even the idea that it was understood that this is a subculture, um, you know, we would get on, I, we would have a group of us and we would only go in groups because we knew that there were safety in numbers. Yeah. Um, we would have a group of us getting on the train in Boston to go to Manray and Cambridge. And, you know, at least once and this, you know, this would happen two, three times a week. Um, at least once a week, we would hear someone make a joke about Halloween, which used to kill me because it's like, do you not, I mean, do you not realize that this is, you know, you are not the first person to come up with the, is it Halloween joke? Like, really? <laughs> and, you know, the the um, women in the group were mercilessly harassed in terms of being called, you know, every euphemism for yeah. a promiscuous woman that you can imagine. Um and that was really just based on clothing. And I sort of, you know, in in high school, I tried a little bit to fit in um, early in high school in terms of dress. And I, I mean, I not at school because I actually went to Catholic school, so I had to wear a uniform, which made that a lot easier. <laughs> um, which really, I, I actually which don't. Is what, I, 
uniforms are designed to do. Yeah, I'm really strongly in favor of school uniforms for everyone, and I'm sure there are people who are shocked to hear me say that, but it it really, and yes, I resented the hell out of it at times um, as a teenager, but it really does level the playing field in a big way, and it takes that, it takes dress out of, and you can still, you know, you still have individuality, because there's lots of I used to get away with bloody murder with, like, sort of adding stuff to my <laughs> uniform. Um, but, you know, it sort of removes a lot of the, the targets on people's backs that might otherwise be there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's I, I, you know, spent periods of my life, like, right after I finished college and I had this idea that, like, I'm supposed to be grown up now and that means I have to dress in suitably grown up ways and my whole wardrobe came from Lane Bryant. And it was it was one of Lane Bryant's more stylish phases, yeah. but it still was not, it was still pretty bland. And I felt the same way, where it was like, like, I, I really feel like I'm wearing a costume, and I don't feel like myself, and I feel more, I actually felt more conspicuous yeah. in sort of normative clothing. I felt I way did. more vulnerable. Did you feel like you were more of a target because you were pretending? I did. I felt like a fraud, for one, yeah. <laughs> for one thing. And I also felt like, you know, I'm giving people the impression that I give a shit about fitting in and that I want to be one of the, you know, the people who feels comfortable bullying or belittling people who look different. Yeah. And that's not who I am. Like, I really did. I felt this enormous... You know, like, like I'm, you know, if I'm wearing these clothes, I'm going to, which I know not everyone who wears normal looking clothes yeah. turns into a, a monster. Um, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I felt like, you know, that was, it was, I felt like I was being untrue to myself. Yeah. And eventually I went back to sewing and, and then Torrid came and, uh, <laughs> and that changed everything. The halcyon <laughs> days. <laughs> Yeah, the early days of Torrid when I was like, oh, my God, I should have worn all this when I was 16, but yeah. it didn't exist, so I'm going to wear it in my 20s. Yeah. <laughs> um, or my the 30s. Other, well, the other, you know, sort of even, <laughs> exactly. Um, the other uh, example I wanted to use, though, because you were talking about struggling with the feeling that it's your fault. Um, I still do this. Like all the time, I'm I I last not well a couple weekends ago, um, I was at the uh, my husband had a thing that he had to he was meeting someone for an interview, and um, I dropped him off and went to the MFA in Boston, which is one of my favorite places in the world, and I went to the cafe for lunch, and I sat there with my you know paper journal and my phone and just kind of hung out and had a really fantastic salad. They have this Asian. Um, shrimp salad. Well, you can have the shrimp, but you can get it with chicken. Um, this Asian salad, which is is amazing. It's so good. I totally want to try to duplicate it. But yeah, so I was eating that, and I'm just sort of hanging out, and I was wearing. I actually think I twit picked the outfit that day, and I was wearing like uh, one of those ruffled dresses with like bright pink tights and a blue sweater and a loud scarf, and I just sort of hanging out. And there was a table like directly across from me um, that had three people at it I think it was two women and a guy mm-hmm. and I, I would guess they were probably in their 20s if I had to guess not like early 20s but somewhere in there they were, they seemed a little younger than me to me and um you know they're eating and I keep seeing because the guy was sort of facing me and the two women were on you know sort of I was like 
I guess, perpendicular to them. Um, <clears throat> the guy kept looking at me the whole time I was sitting there. And I'm thinking, like, yes, I'm wearing pink tights. I know it's a ruffled dress. I know I'm fat. I know, I know, I know, I know. Stop staring <laughs> at me. <laughs> And I'm just sort of, you know, whatever, because it happens. And I always think to myself, you know, this is what I get for dressing the way I do. Yeah. And, and being fat on top of that. If I was skinny, I would probably get stared at. But, you know, also being fat makes me like extra, extra, extra noticeable target. Yeah. And towards the end of their meal, um, they're, you know, like sorting out the check. And I see him sort of lean over to the girl on his right. And whisper something to her. And then he leans over the girl on his left and whisper something. And they both ever so casually turn to look at me. <laughs> nice. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, and, and you feel what the best way I can describe when this happens. Um, and I've said it a million times, I prefer catcalls and shouting and direct um, confrontation because then I get to respond. Yeah. Um, I prefer that to whispers and, you know, sort of shared private jokes about me. Yeah. Uh, because I don't get to respond. It's even more disempowering than just being harassed. My um, absolute favorite mm-hmm. ever response to the whispering comments uh-huh. is Sonara drinking a bowl of gravy. Yeah, that was a good, we'll tell that story momentarily. <laughs> That's actually on my blog, too, because she, she posted it there. Yes. Um, but I, it, it gives me this feeling of literally being pinned to a wall. Like, you know, I suddenly am like a creature at the zoo, and, you know, these people are just coming in and gawping at me, and I cannot escape um, that judgment and that, you know, stare. And that, you know, and I always have to sort of, fight through these people are stupid assholes who are being very rude i have to remind myself that because even now it is so easy for me to just go directly to um well this is what i get this is what i get for dressing like this and being fat and you know not apologizing and being out alone um which again makes me even more of a target if i'm out with my husband i pretty much never get harassed ever um if I'm out on my own, I always get harassed. Like, I can't remember the last time I went. And I do a lot of stuff on my own. Um, I can't remember the last time I was out by myself and I did not get harassed by, even if it was just whispers, which yeah. may not count as harassment. That's more just, you know, people being judgy assholes. But, you know, some sort of event like that has happened every single time and in, in recent memory. And, you know, it just, it, it, and I do, I have to sit there and be like, no. And I mean, I've been doing this shit for years, but I have to sit there and say, this isn't, you know, I should be enabled to go out by myself wearing a ruffly dress and not have to fear that this is going to happen. And those people are jerks. Like, even if, you know, a lot of times I just sort of blow that off because I always think, you know what, you don't know. You don't know that this person isn't being like, wow, look at that awesome fat girl. Because people, you know, can say that too. And that would also elicit people to look. Um, I'm pretty sure that was not the case here because both of the women, after they oh so subtly turned and looked at me, turned and looked back at the guy and started giggling. Yeah. Um, which giggles, mm, not a, a positive sign. Not in, <laughs> You That's know what usually... it is? It's that everybody wants to blow it off. Maybe you're just too sensitive. Maybe yeah. they weren't really making fun of you. And they do it with every single marginalized group out yeah. there. Oh, it wasn't really racism. It was just X, Y, Z. They can shut the fuck up. 
You know what happens. Like, if you can't trust my direct experience of these people turned and laughed at me, Mm -hmm. then we don't need to be having... You're obviously the wrong person to have the conversation with. Yeah. I'm a little militant about that these days. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, that's a question of just sort of trusting... I mean, I've been walking around like this for a long time, so have you. And it's, you know what, I can tell. I can tell if someone's like, wow, you know, that that woman looks, you know, amazing. Or, wow, that woman looks really different in a non-judgmental way either way. Or, you know, I wonder where she got that dress, da-da-da-da. You can tell when someone is giving you attention that, and I don't mind, you know, just being noticed. That's sort of part of my life. Like, I, I don't know how else to go about it. Um, I don't mind that so much as you can, you, you know, when someone is throwing shade your direction, you just, when you've been doing it this long, you just know. And, you know, people, you gotta get people to just trust you. And what's interesting is that, you know, sometimes I'll be out with Dennis and he'll be like, you know, God, he's like, that woman just glared at you. And, and I'm always, you know, like, I mean, you know, she's not going to say anything because I'm not by myself, but I always think, you know, I don't even notice really. Like, yeah. I have to, I probably miss 80% of the glaring or, you know, sort of other internal judgment happening with people um, because I just, I, I can't, if I pay attention to it, then I'm spending my whole day saying, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Yeah. And I don't want to spend my whole day doing that. <laughs> no, there, there, there's a point where you have to, like, where you have a threshold of what you can tune out. And yeah. I think that's one of the skills you learn as an adult that kids don't necessarily come equipped with. Exactly. Like that baseline level of judgment you get just for going out in public. It has to, it, it has to like check off a couple of things on a list before I'm really aware of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, kids are, I mean, you know, of a certain age, kids are extremely egocentric, yeah. which doesn't is, again, I think we misuse that word a lot in, in you know, the vernacular. But, you know, egocentrism doesn't mean you're egotistical or a jerk. It just means you have trouble um, sort of relating to other people as they at where they live. Yeah. Um, And you tend to see things from your own perspective. And some of us never grow out of that. But (laughs) most most teenagers eventually do, you know, become a little more empathetic in their, you know, as they age. Um, And I think that, you know, there's uh, uh, I just totally lost my train of thought. Empathetic. I totally sounds. I love it when this happens live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm literally sitting here, like blah 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 blah. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think we were talking about you know how you change and your yeah. awareness change, and I think that you know when you're a teenager, you notice everything because you're obsessed with how other people are seeing you. Um. Mm-hmm. As for most of us, and again, even this isn't uniformly true, for most of us, though, as we get older, we become less invested in that and we become a little more secure in ourselves because, you know, that's when you're a teenager, a huge part of your experience is being profoundly insecure. And as you get older, you're very often still insecure, but it's not as this all-consuming thing for you anymore um, in the same way that it can be when you're a teenager, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that was my, 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 uh, where I was going with that. I agree with you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we 
were going somewhere with this. We were, and then I totally derailed us. No, we had, like, this whole concept of, like, well, I mean, we it, it probably all just circles back around to, you know, wind up thinking we deserve it. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's, you know, in all of these things, the guilt, the sense of responsibility, and the shame, um, these are all facts of culture, both fat phobic and homophobic and, yes. um, you know, any other ism phobic. Um, this, this all, all of these aspects work together to make these marginalized identities. And it's not sort of like your, it's kind of becomes a chicken or the egg scenario. Am I marginalized because of these prevailing sentiments? Like, is this bullying underscoring the marginalization or is this bullying creating the marginalization? Um, I think it does both. Um, I think as long as we think it's okay. And there's so, there's a lot of, as we have noted, there's a lot of adults out there who think it's completely okay to humiliate and um, harass people who are queer. Um, or people who are fat and who have no problem with it whatsoever. And those, there's a lot of those people, if, if again, common threads are any indication. Um, the so very first time I hung out with my friend Ryan, um, we've, it's, it's, it's been a while now, like seven or eight years at, at the very least, um, probably more like ten. I was wearing these pants that I got at Hot Topic when Hot Topic still carried plus sizes. And they're <laughs> pink and red and purple plaid. Mm-hmm. with zippers and D-rings. Um, they're basically the, the stereotypical bondage pant that they had, but without the straps. Right. And they're awesome pants. And <laughs> I wore them with a really wide, um, bright teal glitter vinyl belt, also <laughs> with many buckles and shiny things on it. <laughs> and... So we went several places, like, because we, we, we hung out for a long time. We went to, like, the bookstore, and we went to the mall and walked around. And I think we started at the mall. And, like, halfway through the evening, Ryan was like, there are these people who just keep looking at your pants. <laughs> and it, 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 even at that point, had not really tripped my people are looking at you thing, because, I mean, I, I was wearing these pants course people are looking at them and um also you know people look at me because i dress funny um but it was a new sort of experience i think for her that people (laughs) would be so blatant in their look and point and judge and laugh kind of thing Mm -hmm. and by the end of the evening we were like at barnes and noble or something really you know innocuous like that and finally like ryan had had enough And she, you know, it happens one more time, and she turns around and she says to the people who are whispering, Oh my God, look at her fucking pants! (laughs) And then we resumed our shopping as though nothing had ever happened. But But it is that sort of, you have no way of responding to the whispers even when you know that they're happening. Like, that. that was the thing that made it such a, like crystal clear memory 10 years later is that for once there was a response to all of this that somebody else took it you know as as personally as I cannot let myself take it if I want to have any hope of being a functioning human being right and I think that's where 
I, I, I think maybe that's where some of the, you know, the impulse to reassure comes from. But I, I think that is also maybe a better model for one of the things we could be doing. Like, mm-hmm. instead of speaking to the kids who are being bullied, maybe what we need to be doing is speaking to the people who are bullying mm-hmm. of all ages, once again. And, you know, sort of sharing these stories of overcoming that and doing exactly the same thing but targeting them at a different group and saying this this is what your choices have meant for my life you need to stop it yeah yeah i really really strongly wish that bullying was as big a source of being ostracized and humiliated as um you know, being fat or being queer or being uh, nerdy or being a person of color or being disabled or anything else that people get sort of pointed at and whispered yeah. about um, over. Because, you know, bullying does not actually serve any larger social purpose. No. <laughs> it doesn't you know, actually we're not, build character. Yeah, we're not like, you know, like freaking... Uh, 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 herd of antelope and we're trying to you know call the weak <laughs> so they don't slow us down you know we live in the future and we're you know pretty okay with people being different even in really obnoxious ways that you find difficult to deal with um there is no sort of impetus to or or benefit to treating people like shit um, aside from I need, you know, a, a, an internal need for validation. And, you know, I mean, one of the things I always heard, um, you know, told, and I never really talked about being bullied when I was actually a kid, but one of the things that, you know, you hear in sort of the, the broader discourse on bullying is that, you know, well, people who make fun of you or bully you, you know, they're just, you know, they're insecure and their their insecurities are coming out in that because it makes them feel better, which is probably true. But I don't see that being, you know, sort of highlighted as a solution that, you know, I it's feel also like... not really relevant. Like, that's not comforting. I mean, yeah. I, I am sorry they were insecure, but that doesn't make it any better that they threw pecans at me. And it doesn't fix the situation. Um, you know, it's, it's basically like saying, well, those, those kids are, you know, have their own problems. So you should be more understanding when they treat you like shit. And it's, you know, why should I have to be understanding about They're not that? being understanding. Right? <laughs> like, why Talk should I do that? Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, and I do think that kids who bully, for obvious reasons, you know, are troubled in one way or another. Um, I don't think bullying is sort of the normal human um, reaction to difference. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, it comes from some pretty ugly places. And, yeah, that needs to be addressed. But, you know, at the same time, the way we're talking about this needs to be amended as well. That the yeah. kids who are being bullied need to be stood up for. And the most, one of the most enraging parts of this isn't so, for me, of all of these stories, isn't so much the actual bullying from kid to kid. Even in the case of Tyler Clemente, which, you know, these were all legal adults, um, albeit young ones. Um, it's not even so much, you know, as, as horrifying as a lot of these, these tales are, what really enrages me is the, the stories of kids who are still in elementary school or still in middle school or even still in high school who are being bullied and who get no response, yes. who actually work up the nerve to go to uh, adult figures in authority 
who then do nothing. Yeah, which, there's no reason to go to adult figures uh, when they're not going to do anything. I mean, and there's all there's even almost a, a sense that you know, while this is, and you know, the thing we always hear is kids will be kids. That you know, while this is just an inevitable part of growing up, and I mean, yeah, to some extent, teasing is an inevitable part of growing up. It happens. Yeah. Um, bullying, and I just sort of taught me, you know, this distinction um, on my blog in a comment thread, I think. Um, bullying is, is different than teasing. Yeah. Um, teasing is sort of, you know, usually good-natured. It's not really, you know, it can be sort of vicious in its way, but it's not. Bullying is, is an overt and concentrated effort yeah. to wear someone down and, and to, you know, really, really hurt them as much as possible. Uh, that's not the same thing. (laughs) And I think that, you know, we need to have better responses from adults. And I feel like the problem is a lot of times the kids who are being bullied, the adults don't particularly like them either. Yep. So if you have, you know, a kid who, if, if you're a grown up and you have no, you know, sort of inbuilt awareness of, you know, say queer identities, and you have a kid who's coming in who is trans, and you think that kid is a freak of nature and is so fucked up, yeah, you're probably not going to be real, you know, understanding (laughs) with regard to trying to stop the bullying, because you're thinking, well, you know, maybe the kid will get normal as a result of it. And that Related to that? Go ahead. Related to that is the... Related to that is the idea of parents who do not like what their kids are. Yeah. Because it is not like bullies necessarily come from the outside of the family environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that... I think that that's one of the things you have to, like, stop and think about, too, is that for as much as... You know, for for every supportive parent who's like, of course, we love you just the way you are, you know, who knows how many parents there are who are like, well, you're a fucking freak of nature. Or who are, well, we're going to put you on a diet for your own good, Mm -hmm. instilling the idea in the first place that it's your fault. And that's part of my, my issue with the idea of it gets better because it paints an idea of a world in which adults are not just as invested in the motivations behind teenage bullying as teenagers would be. Yeah. It, it gives us the idea that, and yes, it's it may be true that ad- most adults will be less likely to overtly harass someone. Um, that much is true. But that doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to still get harassed. Yeah. Or, you know, that somehow once you get to a certain age, people become more understanding. We should all know that that's not true. Not what, at you all. know, the best, you, the best you can do and the best that you can hope for and work toward is, you know, building your own sort of defenses. In my case, you know, if I get snickered at in a cafe, my defense is to think this is, you know, just repeat myself. This is not your fault. Those yeah. people are assholes. You know, you're just sitting here minding your own business. You did not do anything to, um, you You're know, just there eating us out. I'm just there eating my, doing my thing. You know, you can look or you cannot look. I don't really care um, so far as just noting that I'm there because I'm not interested in talking to you. Yeah. Um, 
but you know it it portrays this world where like you know once like this is basically my problem with a lot of the conversations about this in general is that it makes it look like bullying like you said before is primarily a teenage problem and that it's something you grow out of and Yes, some people will grow out of it. And I'm sure there are people today who are adults who were vicious bullies in their youth who profoundly regret their behavior. Um, I don't want to say that bullies are somehow intrinsically monsters because I no. don't think that's true. I think that sometimes there's a lack of empathy. I think that sometimes there's just a, a, a basic lack of understanding of the consequences of one's actions, which I think is kind of what happened with... Um, probably what happened with the Tyler Clemente case, yeah. which is for um, if you're like one of the two people who has not read about this, um, Tyler Clemente was a Rutgers student who killed himself because his roommate and someone else in the dorm were secretly videotaping him um, hooking up or having sex, I'm not sure, and transmitting it live on the internet. Now, you know, I've tried, I try really hard not to be like, oh my god, these people are monsters and they should die, even though that's sort of my <laughs> knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> like, my, my visceral reaction is that. But, you know, because I try to imagine a circumstance in which I would think, oh, this would be funny. Yeah. And when I was six or, or 12, I don't think how I could possibly fathom that that would be funny. Well, based on the, the sort of, like... Facebook statuses that were listed, it wasn't about it being funny so much as this is disgusting. Right. Well, and, yeah, by funny, yeah, I mean yeah. sort of entertaining or amusing that, you know, this 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 is a, a you know, a good use of my time is, yeah. you know, displaying this. And, you know, I... I I sort of... I don't, I don't know where to start with that because these weren't kids... And I don't want to just say they're horrible monsters, but I kind of think they are horrible monsters. And I sort of also, the thing that always bugs me the most in these circumstances is that I wonder how they feel about what happened. Like, yeah. I wonder if these kids, you know, are like, oh, my God, w you know, even if, you know, it, it's hard to say it's 100% their fault, I'm sure. Um, I doubt that, you know, Tyler Clemente lived to, you know, the his his you know age without you know having any bullying at all yeah. up to this point that's pretty unusual and it was probably a cumulative thing but to even just be the straw that broke the camel's back you know i sort of like i want them to understand the full thrust yeah of what happened but the sad thing is there are people maybe not those kids but other kids who might have that reaction and they think good yeah you know, they feel absolutely no remorse and no regret. And there are adults who think that, yeah. as evidenced by some of the video responses to the whole concept of the it's get, It Gets Better program mm -hmm. project, rather. Like the It Gets Worse project, which I'm not even going to dignify with a link, where yeah. um, a sort of conservative Christian group has decided that they're going to tell kids it actually gets worse because you live this way and then you roast in hell. Right. Thanks. For helping out like that guys yeah that's 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 real that's real christ-like <laughs> yeah um <laughs> jesus would be so proud of y'all yeah <laughs> jesus is like fist bumping with you in heaven right now. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, i mean that man. sort of illustrates for me with crystalline clarity mm -hmm. that this is not just about 
you know, kids. It's not about kids being kids. This, this is, is a- about, I mean, and, and you're talking about, you know, why kids bully. I think oftentimes kids bully because that's what has been modeled for them by their parents. Exactly. Like, this is the way they are actively shaped to be in this world because, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, of course you're supposed to harass fat people because mommy does it every Thanksgiving to aunt whoever. Yeah. You know, whatever. It's, it's directly i think in some cases based on the way kids have been taught is right and proper to act and ultimately this comes back to the whole purpose of social justice based activism is the idea that we live in a culture that is poisonous except to the classes in power yeah and that should be fixed and bullying for all of our hand wringing and flailing about it isn't going to stop unless that's fixed. The best you can hope for without fixing, you know, culture is to make bullying taboo, which even then it's not going to stop. It's just going to become, you know, it's going to be driven underground and kids who are bullied will probably be even less likely to come forward and, and say when it's happening. Um, So that, you know, it, it, the, the problem here isn't just, you know, kids being kids or even kids being assholes. The problem here is that, you know, this we, we have a culture that thinks that anyone who doesn't fit the dominant standards of normality is either either must be rescued and changed to fit normal or must be expunged. Um, And whether that means just, you know, driving them, making them afraid to leave their house or making them actually kill themselves. Um, Either way, it's it's sort of this, you know, cleansing of difference, I guess, (laughs) is is the best way to look at it. And, And I think that the bullying conversations are important and I'm glad that they're happening. But I feel like we're also getting it's a little too hyper focused for me on that narrow aspect because yes this is a tremendous problem um that really needs in cannot have too much attention but it's also but a symptom of a much larger problem which you know we really don't like looking at because you know it's you know we're overly invested in in a concept of freedom of speech that includes hate so that's what i think marianne (laughs) I agree with you, Leslie. That's a shocker. Uh, right? <laughs> one of these days we're going to find something on which one of us is going to look at the other and go, oh, my God. It'll Are be like, cro- it'll, t- it'll totally be like Crossfire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I I think that what I really want is for this not to fade into obscurity with the next news cycle. Yeah. Like I want the conversation to broaden in from the specific instead of having the specific fade away. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way to ensure that is to continue to talk about it and to talk about it in broad terms and to speak to the, the people who are bullies, whether they're adults or kids about the consequences thereof and uh, I don't know it's just such a monumental task it really is it's kind of slightly depressing (laughs) that's what what I was talking about earlier I mean like think about it and it's like well especially if you're already kind of engaged in activism it's like uh, there's a limited 
their time is finite. How am I going to do this as well? Well, I think, and, yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously we're going to find the time, but. I think the most important thing for you and I and for other people who are sort of fighting upstream um, is just that, you know, every day that we go out and go about our lives as people who don't, you know, sort of fall in line with expectations, be those expectations gender-related or weight-related or anything else. Um, I feel like every day that we're doing that, we do, we really do have an effect on the world because even if one person takes notice of that, it might make them feel more empowered, um, you know, to, to be themselves and, yeah. and to also live unapologetically. And I think that people who don't, you know, who aren't at risk, really, of being bullied, like, you know, sort of your standard, you know, average person takes note of that, they might also think, oh, well, you know, that person seems to be okay, and, and you know, they're just going about their life, and, you know, maybe I shouldn't just assume that all, you know, all fat people are lazy and disgusting. Yeah. And, you know, that, it, it works as, you know, just living by example, and as I've said a million times, I feel like of those of us who simply just get up and go out of the house and, and don't apologize, that's that in and of itself is activism. And you don't yeah. have to carry a sign or organize a nonprofit to be an activist. Yeah. I've just had a couple of, of difficult days. I think I'm a little more cynical than usual. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like true. equivalent to a Muppet being cynical, but it yeah. happened. Yeah. A Mupp- I wonder what they should make a cynical Muppet. I guess Oscar did. the Grouch. His name is Oscar. Yeah. yeah, Oscar the Grouch. Although I think Oscar he's just was... grumpy, not not so much. Although I guess cynic, cynicism goes with that. Yeah, I think there are things on which he is cynical. Yeah. But that's I a like... totally different conversation. Yeah, we, we can have a Muppet episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But I think we've we've pretty much, you know, covered this subject. So unless you have anything you want to add, I can wrap it up i i think that we've spent an hour basically saying that if you're different the abuse you receive is not your fault pretty much yeah so that's the takeaway message that's the moral to the story yeah yeah if if we need to sum up this rambling conversation it's not your fault you are okay and we love you (laughs) (laughs) and we do without that that sort of delivery (laughs) <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's okay. I have tonal problems all the time okay <laughs> so I, I think it's funny I'm okay. like yeah I, it's it's interesting isn't it how we have sort of like I don't know a weird cultural thing against genuine statements like that mm-hmm. like we well, have to was, couch that, them that was in actually... some sort of I don't know, tonal thing to make it funny. But the truth is, like, I do love people. Well, that actually was me being that. genuine, Mary. <laughs> I know. But like, I mean, like, I say, we can't... I say it to my husband like that. <laughs> I've seen that. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, like I don't often, I don't often get demonstrative. But when I do, it's usually a little over the top. <laughs> which is probably unsurprising. What are the odds? Yeah. You have been listening to FatCast. I am Lessa Kinzel. I'm Marianne Kirby. Thanks for listening, y'all.